Good evening. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Clark Grant is in the studio. Today, our guest is Donica Markigard of Markigard Family Grass-Fed Beef. In just a moment, Donica will be with us and tell us all about what she has going on. And um, also, I'd like to remind you that we are on Facebook. You can always email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. In just a moment, Donaga will be with us. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw a Hello, this is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest is Donica Markigard of Markigard Family Grass-Fed Beef. Hi, Donica. How are you? I'm doing good this morning. Thank you so much for being on Heartstock and sharing your story with us. It's pretty amazing. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So, I found you by way of the documentary, Kiss the Ground. And having way, way back, probably three lifetimes ago, I was an egg major uh, in the field of animal science and egg business. And I was just overjoyed by this documentary. I'm hoping that we can start out with um, just a quick intro for our listeners who maybe haven't seen the documentary and don't really know anything about your family business. Can you can you share a little intro, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we are regenerative ranchers out uh, on in coastal California, and we graze cattle. Um, grass, we raise grass-fed beef, grass-fed lamb, pasture-raised pork, and pasture-raised chicken, uh, spanning about 10,000 acres on coastal hills, both north and south of San Francisco. So uh, our family uh, ranches in a way that uh, mimics nature, so mimics the natural cycles uh, which evolved with these grasslands. And we, we actually have incredibly productive grasslands here in California, those that uh, have not been uh, developed or fragmented, and they're the most uh, biodiverse in terms of plant species in the whole country. So it really is uh, an incredible climate, um, and uh, we have really rich perennial uh, native bunch grasses uh, where our cattle graze, uh, and we also have great access to markets. So my background, though, is in wildlife tracking and nature connections. So I'm really looking at uh, this type of agriculture as a way that enhances uh, nature, enhances species. We work with the Audubon Society to document grassland birds and we also work with other soil scientists to measure the um, carbon sequestration on grasslands. So uh, it's it's sort of an exciting time to uh, be a regenerative rancher right now. And the movie Kiss the Ground really highlighted a number of different uh, ranches across the country and across the world uh, that are doing these practices and having really incredible results. Indeed. So did you grow up in the Bay Area? Where are you from? 
Um, I'm from Washington State, uh, so a rural area where my family, we grew our own food and uh, my mother always raised us uh, pretty close to the land. And my husband grew up ranching in the Bay Area. You know, that's fascinating because most of us here in Montana, we don't think of California as big ag land, you know. But that is, um, I think, the two largest ag-producing counties in the whole United States are in California. Yeah, and most <laughs> of that is produce. So mm-hmm. uh, the majority of the produce um, that's shipped across the country and across the world is, yeah, is right here in that uh, sort of the Central Valley in California. So we're on what you would call, say, what's sort of classified as the marginal land. So we graze on lands that can't be tilled for a uh, row crop. So and any sort of any land that's fertile and arable is definitely utilized for those those higher value crops like strawberries in California. Yeah, you know, and uh, being uh, there's so much talk and misinformation about specifically meat crops and using animals in a regenerative way because you know you hear all the time that we shouldn't eat beef because it's it's contributing to global warming. So I'm hoping we can talk a lot about the environmental benefits of what you're doing and some of the misconceptions about what you're doing. And before we do that, I'm just wondering a little bit more, you know, where you went to school and really how this all evolved and came to fruition. Yeah. So I was a little bit of a misfit uh, rebel child and uh, I ran away from home at at a pretty young age as a teenager. And then I found my way back through synchronicity back to my hometown and where there was a wilderness school, the Wilderness Awareness School. So at the time, it was a full-time immersion for high school students. And there was just a handful of us. It was just getting going. It was sort of like a pilot of what what happens when you take kids that uh, sort of don't fit in in any other school or any other setting and just immerse them in the wilderness, um, mentor them in bird language, wilderness survival, uh, indigenous knowledge, and see what happens. And uh, so I write about this uh, extensively in my book, Dawn Again, Tracking the Wisdom of the Wild. And also um, there's a young adult version called Wolf Girl. And so I write about this a lot, um, how when we connect to nature, um, we're connecting also to ourselves and our intuition and finding um, that curiosity that we all have, which leads to passion uh, and then leads to vision. So essentially what happened while I was in this school, and I sort of document this in my book, is that that uh, passion of connecting with nature and uh, working to sort of heal uh, what the destruction humans have caused led me then to permaculture, uh, which brought me to California because at the time that's sort of where some of the leading uh, permaculture work was happening. And then I met my husband uh, who was a next door neighbor 
And uh, uh, he's a sixth generation cattle rancher. And I came across holistic management. And from there, I saw that big impact that I could make was to work in with grasslands and work with ranchers and uh, transition my husband's uh, ranch from a cow-calf operation where the calves are sold at weaning age to eventually end up in a feedlot to 100% grass-fed, grass-finished. So that is where I, I feel like is, is, is a big step for ranchers is to uh, transition to where you're raising and seeing all the animals all the way through. That's sort of the basic thing. Let's try to get as many animals out of confinement as possible and raise them on grass all the way. And it is possible. Indeed. And you, you're you doing this as a family farm. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like for you? And, you know, this is something that it also goes back to uh, farming culture. How How is it these days for family farmers? Uh, well, there's not very many of us. <laughs> so we're, um, we were the first ones in our area to transition to 100% grass-fed. And what we're seeing now is those that have grass-fed ranches um, are owned by billionaires. So they don't necessarily need to make a living on the agriculture. It's just something they bought a ranch and they want to try to do the right thing. So it's very difficult um, to uh, sort of build your way up um, from the ground up as a family without having sort of outside investments which is what we've done. We've just built from the ground up. And so we lease all of our land. We don't own the land. Um, So we lease from uh, regional parks. We lease from land trusts. We lease from private landowners. So it's a different... It's a different feeling when you're when you're investing in land that you don't really exactly know the future of. So that's that's a big challenge for us. Um, but we feel like the work that we are doing, um, you know, raising livestock in a way that mimics nature, that's good for the animals, and is producing uh, large amounts of food to feed thousands of families uh, is. It's definitely worth the challenges and worth uh, sort of the hard, the hard work because the, the benefits uh, sort of outweigh those. And are you homeschooling while you're doing all this in the middle of a pandemic and uh, fires? Yeah, well, we have four kids and they are all really integral to the ranch. And so it's actually been pretty nice for us to have them uh, close to home. And uh, here on the ranch, like during the fires, it was sort of solid month of crisis. And I know many of the Western states experienced this. And uh, we sort of this, I guess it was just our turn this year. We'd watched friends and other ranchers go through this in previous years. And so the fire hit us hard this year. And uh, so our kids learned some valuable lessons of uh, living through crisis and sort of stepping up and, you know, really acting, acting like adults. And they were, they've been very integral. And yeah, we get a lot of support from our local teachers, but yeah, our kids are all at home right now. 
And before we really delve deeply into your beef production and all of the the really important pearls of wisdom that you have around this, can you share a little bit about what, the, the huge loss that you guys have experienced? I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing that, but I think it's important that all of us really connect with with what exactly is is going on for a, an awful lot of ranchers and farmers. Yeah, yeah. So um, we we spent a lot of time because the fire was right up our, against our ranches. So we evacuated uh, hundreds of animals, and and we had one ranch that was sort of right on the edge of the evacuation zone. So we brought the all the animals here. And uh, we're hauling in water for them and feeding them. And so it was a huge uh, sort of stress um, for, for us mainly of not getting much sleep. And uh, uh, while that was happening, there was you know, basically the fire just raging out of control. Uh, there was just so much fuel built up that had not been uh, moved, had not been um cleared or grazed um, in the nearby state parkland. And so we had, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we lease our our land and um, we had a a personal property that we've invested for over 20 years, uh, something that we could have helped um, pass down to our children. And we had a house there and barns and it got completely, uh, completely burnt every, you know, a complete loss. And this was right in the same year, just just earlier this year, um, you know, all over California, um, insurance companies are dropping um, dropping properties that are in high risk areas. So we didn't have any fire insurance. So it was just it was just a complete loss. So you know, we were dealing with all of this grief um, in the middle of trying to just you know, have the number one priority of saving, saving lives. And so we didn't, we didn't lose a single animal, um, uh, which was our, our main goal. Mm. And how are you doing now? (laughs) This is a Uh, lot. You know, we're, we're, we're in a, we're in another drought. Uh, California has not had rain. We don't see much rain on the forecast and uh, we just sort of say, okay, well, eventually, you know, we're going to stop calling it drought and just say this is the new the new climate. Uh, we don't get much. You know, last year we got less than half of our um, average rainfall. So uh, it's 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 a tough it's a tough time right now, um, and we're 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 very busy just working to to keep the animals moving onto to good pasture where they have water. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sticking together. It's just nice to have, have the family and uh, support from, from our community. Wow. So in just a moment, we'll be back. We're going to take a quick break. And Donica Markigard will be right back. This is Hardstock. Thanks for listening.
is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today we are speaking with Donega Markegaard. And let's talk now, Donega, a little bit more about why what you're doing is so important. And climate change is is real. <laughs> why? Let's see, how can I phrase this question? So there there are some really beautiful, wonderful things that the land can do for us in regards to climate change. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, and this goes back to that movie, Kiss the Ground, which uh, is is a great uh, movie to watch. It's currently on Netflix, but I believe it comes out on other platforms. And it might even be available on other platforms now. So uh, it, basically the, the basis of the film is that uh, we can uh, draw down that legacy load of carbon uh, through techniques um, of biosequestration. So uh, growing more green living plants to pull carbon out of the atmosphere and store it long term in the soil. And uh, it's it's sort of um, something that seems very simple and seems very common sense. But again, we don't see um, common sense isn't very common anymore. And uh, as farmers and ranchers, we see that that is is the only only solution we have um, for long term sort of climate stability. Whether we can do it at a large enough scale, that's um, yet to be seen. So, essentially, the way we've been farming, and you know, we didn't. I guess we didn't learn this during the Dust Bowl of uh, tilling and applying chemicals and uh, planting single crops. Um, is not working. It's not working for the planet. It's not working for the soil, for human health. Uh, and now we're seeing the results of uh, this um, massive uh, destruction of soil loss and in the form of uh, climate disasters. So fires and floods and um, hurricanes and so how do we get uh, to the point where we can start to um, see that carbon uh, get drawn down? And the way that uh, I like to look at it is uh, through, through movement, that we can all relate to when we exercise and we move our bodies that we feel really good. And it's the same with nature. So regenerative agriculture as a rancher we're out there, we're on horseback, we're moving our cattle. They're not standing in one place. They're not stagnant. And we're, and in turn, that moves the plants. Uh, and um, then when you move the plants, when those animals are grazing those plants, when they're fertilizing, when they're allowing that uh, area to then regrow, uh, then that then moves the soil and moves the carbon down into the atmosphere. So 
stagnation on the flip side leads to oxidation and desertification. So we have a ranch, for example, that's been studied extensively where we have a comparison of the, the ranch next door has had cattle removed and sort of the motto of let it go back to nature. So what happens then is the grass plants don't have any disturbance. And so what they're doing is they're oxidizing and they're actually releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, whereas the, the land where we're grazing our animals and we're moving the animals around, that's pulling down uh, massive amounts of carbon. And so you know, we can look at that and say, okay, where, where can we start to bring that that vigorous growth back in as much of the land surface as possible. And so animals are a great way to do that. Animals, um, it, it, they're sort of the ultimate biological farming unit and they're solar powered and, and uh, they can be fed by grass, things that humans cannot eat. And you could use uh, animals in conjunction with crops as well. Like we graze our flock of sheep on a nearby uh, diversified organic uh, market farm and the sheep bring in the fertility and they graze the cover crops. So it's less uh, passes with the tractor for the farmer. Um, the sheep get to uh, graze a great, diverse, uh, productive crop and the land gets fertilized and he doesn't need to ship in compost from, from out of the area. So it's really a win-win. The separation of growing crops and livestock um, it really has been devastating for the soil. We need that livestock to bring back that fertility and bring back the soil's ability to hold moisture and to hold carbon. This is a little counter <laughs> to what most people have been taught. So it's um, it's really heartwarming to see folks like you and all of the folks in Kiss the Ground working to re-educate us. Um, I mean, I was lucky enough to have have studied it in, um, in undergrad. So I knew that this was true. But there again, you know, popular ideals. Yeah, they just don't embrace this or know about it. So in many cases, I mean, that that's the whole key here, right? With regenerative, the whole term regenerative is we can take land that has been ruined and bring it back to health just by changing the way that we manage it. Is yeah, that, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Can you talk just a little bit more about this whole desertification issue that you spoke of earlier? Yeah. So 40% uh, of the land mass is covered in grassland, and that is uh, in the threat of desertification. And so when desertification takes hold, basically you get bare soil. And when you have bare soil, then that soil, the moisture evaporates, uh, you get more erosion and it can't sustain life. <laughs> so in order to reverse this desertification, well, you need to get life back to these areas. And so even 
like the example I was giving of the, the neighbor ranch that is not grazed, those plants, single species start to take over and dominate. And then what you see is you see bare ground all around it. So that's the start of desertification. And so what we can do in those areas is it's pretty simple. And we've seen this happen. We've seen land that pretty much only supported one or two species of, of grasses. And we bring our animals in, they trample all of that sort of carbon that's standing in the air, not doing anything. And they get it in touch with the soil surface where all of that good stuff can happen. That's where all of those microbes live is, is uh, right on that soil. Uh, soil surface is where there's so much life. And so then by mimicking uh, the predator-prey relationship, so these grasslands evolved with predators moving large herds of animals across these grasslands. And so when we're moving those animals, it will stimulate more life. And within just one season, uh, when those uh, plants start to get trampled and essentially what you're doing is you're making compost on site because you're mixing it with urine and dung and it's composting right there and building healthy soils. And that brings in uh, more light so that that seed bank can then diversify. We have 137 plant species on one ranch and we've never planted a seed and that diversity is increasing due to the grazing. So when we look at that, you know, not just look at like, oh, cattle, good, bad, but we look at cattle when utilized as a tool for grassland health and look at the science, we see that there are an incredible benefit to species and biodiversity. And that's why organizations like the Audubon Society are investing so much in their partnerships with grass-fed ranchers because grassland birds are the group of birds that are the most threatened and they see ranching as a way to bring those threatened uh, species back to abundance. And we're actually seeing this on the ground. There's threatened species of grassland birds that are actually increasing in numbers on our ranches, whereas other areas like, say, that are used for cropland, you know, much of the grasslands have been tilled under and used to plant corn or soy or other crops, um, the grassland birds are declining. So if we move away from tilled agriculture into regenerative agriculture, with which integrates livestock, then it's not just going to be healthy for the soil, but healthy for all life. I would really love it if we could talk a little more about um, your business model and how do you how do you get your product to market? Yeah, so as direct market ranchers, we sort of had to 
create everything from scratch because there's not an easy way for ranchers just to plug in and say, okay, now I want to start selling direct. Well, you got to be able to finish the animals and take it to processing and then work with your butcher and then bring that package back and then get that pack, each individual package out to uh, the end consumer. So uh, because we're right here close to Silicon Valley in San Francisco, um, we primarily sell direct to families. And especially during this pandemic, that has been sort of a key benefit to our model is that uh, we are able to provide food security to local people and they can trust that they will get a healthy product and that uh, they can depend on us for their their protein source when they don't want to go to the grocery store or they don't uh, want to support industrial agriculture that's treating um, the animals and the people in a harmful way. And um, in, a, in our last about half a minute here, how mm-hmm. might folks find you? And is there any way that I could um, find farmers like you here locally in Montana or other places? Yeah, absolutely. Find your local farmer and uh, do a search uh, for local grass-fed ranchers in your area and get to know your your local farmer. And for me, you can find us on our website, markygardfamily.com. Well, we wish you good luck and uh, speedy recovery from all the impacts that you've experienced this year, along with everybody else. Oh my gosh, what a year. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Heartstock. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Clark Grant is in the studio, and we'll be back next week. This is Heartstock. Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing. But on the other side